Such an interesting pair of stories as we think about in today's teaching passage. It's so amazing to think about what Jesus does in the midst of chaotic circumstances. In our teaching passage today, Jesus brings peace through his power to both external and internal chaos through two stories. So in our series on Mark, the whole premise is that as we encounter Jesus through his word, that we will listen to Jesus and then respond to him. That as we observe Jesus in his interaction with others, that we will, we will take notice of what he says and what he does, but not only that, of others' response and reaction to Jesus. And see how that shapes our life today. So in the last chapter, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is speaking about how when God breaks into the world, people aren't always going to understand. He begins to use earthly stories with a spiritual meaning to communicate with the crowds and the disciples about the kingdom of God. This place where, where all are welcome and, and, and wanted to learn what it looks like to live in God's world, God's way. And after this time of teaching, Jesus says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, the disciples know what is waiting for them. See, the way in which the Sea of Galilee was designed uh, around and basically with the cliffs and how they came down to the lake is when people heard that Jesus wanted to go to the other side of the lake, they knew what was waiting for them. They could hear this demon-possessed man probably in the depths of the night through the echoes through the landscape. That there was someone across the lake banging with, with change and loud cries. And so they knew. When Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, the disciples knew what was waiting for them. They knew there was something that was potentially scary or frightening. And most of all, maybe even something unclean. Something that no person would necessarily want to go to. But nevertheless, everyone begins to climb into these boats, likely nervous, except for Jesus. As we begin this story, we see that Jesus is sleeping. And then a storm happened, which was not uncommon. Remember, if you know anything about the disciples or those early followers of Jesus, many of them were fishermen, which means that they grew up around this sea. They grew up on the water. They used to go on fishing expeditions. That, that was their career path. And so for a storm to just raise up, that was not odd. They were used to being at sea. But this storm must have been an incredible one. Because experienced sailors, though they were, they thought they were going to die. And feverishly, they, thinking that they're going to die, they, they go and wake Jesus up. And two amazing things happen. The first was his words themselves, a command of utter simplicity. He stands up, says, quiet, be still. That's it. That's what he stands up and says. And the wind and the waves respond. And that may be the more astonishing point, is that the storm, the wind and the waves obeyed like a compliant child. The wind died down and was completely calm. 
And that almost sounds redundant until you realize that Mark is talking about the wind and the water. Have you ever seen water smooth that is like glass, no waves at all, the kind where you can see your face in it? When the wind stopped after Jesus' rebuke, that could have been a coincidence. He stands up, says something, the winds stop. But if you've ever gone to an ocean or to the river, you know that when the winds stop and the storm ends, the waves keep on pounding for hours afterward. Mark makes this point about the wind and the water because it's to show the supremacy and the power of Jesus. For to put in front of us, to help us understand who Jesus is. See, in ancient cultures and legends, the sea was a symbol of unstoppable destruction. No one could tame the sea. It had its own will. It has its own mind. It was a form of chaos that no one could tame except by the power of God. You even see this in modern-day depictions. Think of the ocean in Disney's Moana. It's a depiction of a body having its own will. It's got its own spirit about it. It, it does what it wants to do. No one can really control it or tell it what to do, but it has its own will and its own way. And so into this kind of mindset, Jesus steps up and says, quiet, be still. Now by his actions here, Jesus is demonstrating, I'm not just someone who has power, I am power itself. Anyone in anything in the whole universe that has power has it on loan from me. That's a mighty claim. And if that's true, we may begin to wonder, what does this mean for us? And I think there are two options when we're, we're confronted with the power of Jesus. We could argue that as we go out into our world, into our everyday life, again, John said it well, he said we're, we're everyday people. As, as we just simply live life, we, we enter into control, uncontrollable circumstances. We enter into different forms of chaos. Things aren't always as we would want them to be. And so as we live, how do we cope with that reality? And we could argue that if this world was just a result of a monumental storm, that we're here by accident through blind, violent forces of nature, and that when we die, we'll just turn to dust. And that when the sun goes out, there won't be anyone around to remember anything we've done. So in the end, whether we're a cruel person or a loving person, it really makes no lasting difference at all. However, if Jesus is who he says he is, there's another way to look at life. If he's Lord of the storm, then no matter what shape the world is in or your life is in, you will find that Jesus provides all the healing, all the rest, all the power you could possibly want. The story continues, though. The disciples and Jesus reach the intended destination. They get to the other side, and they encounter a man with the storm within. And his response to Jesus is most shocking. He comes to Jesus, and he kneels down, and he says, Who are you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. And he throws in all these adjectives, and we're like, man, that's a really long title for Jesus. <laughs> that's there. And, and you're kind of shocked. Like, wait, this is demoniac? This is man who's got unclean spirits? And he just laid out for everybody who Jesus is. Because if you remember on the boat, the disciples were wondering, who is this Jesus? Who is he? 
And then out of nowhere, the demoniac runs up and is like, hey, this is Jesus and lays it out nice and neat for us. And so we're presented with an identity of Jesus. But here's what we need to know is as the demoniac makes this confession about Jesus, it's, it's not just a recognition of who Jesus is, but it's actually an attempt to gain mastery over him. It's an attempt to gain control over him, to render him harmless in accordance with the common assumption of the period that the use of the precise name of an adversary gave one mastery over him. So you have, as you have these external swirling circumstances, this storm, and then you have a man who, who internally is filled with chaos and attempts to gain control over Jesus, to determine G, what Jesus should do. And what's amazing is it's almost in passing, if, you, if you're following the text, and it's like kind of an, almost an afterthought where he, Jesus learns the name of the legion because it says, for he had asked him, to, or he told him to come out of him. And this man then, this, with the storm inside, the, the, the peace is found. The story concludes with the former demoniac asking to be with Jesus. This request is worded in the vocabulary of discipleship, basically meaning he wanted to join Jesus. He wanted wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to pattern his life after Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and sends him to his people. He says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And the result is amazement. What we see here is that through an encounter with Jesus, through the internal peace, realize that Jesus says, yes, your desire to be with me is right, but I don't want you to just simply stay here and be with me. Because he had, he had gathered the disciples, and he said, I appointed them to be with me, but he actually sends this man back to his own people. Some of you right now are on the journey of faith. And it doesn't matter where you're at or, or what your progression is. But Jesus' desire for you is as you encounter him, is not simply stay and be with him, but go back to the people by which you come from. See, you all have co-workers. You have family members. You have people in your past who you're, you're, maybe you've created some distance from. Or you're not sure that they would understand your faith journey. And as we experience the love and the freedom that Jesus brings, because remember, he, he brings this guy freedom. He calms the storm inside. Jesus says, go back to your own people. Go back to this group and, and tell them what I have done for you. And for us here today, some of that message is the same, is that we are to go back to the people by which we've come from, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our family, And we're not to remain silent, but we're actually to open up our mouths and say, this is what God is doing. And again, this man didn't spend a ton of time with Jesus, which tells us that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have the perfect response. We simply have to be able to narrate, this is what I've experienced. This is the hope. This is the joy. And and maybe it starts with something simple as, hey, I've been connecting with a church, and it's weird because the pastor stands up there and he wears a hat and a hoodie, and I don't know what to do with that, so you need to come check that out. Or maybe some of you start to go, I mean, I used to dread going to church, but I walk in here and I feel a little bit more refreshed 
and it's been a breath of fresh air and you've been seeking some rest and refreshment in your life, this is a place worth checking out. And ultimately, we invite people, not just to, to a church or to a gathering, because we want to see this thing grow, but ultimately we want people to have an encounter with Jesus. We want people to respond and want to be with Him. And so if that's what Jesus has said, let's see how the disciples respond. If that's what Jesus did, then naturally there's a response in the text. See, before Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are afraid. But after Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified. Does anybody find that shocking like I do? Before the storm, they're, they're afraid. Oh my goodness, we're going to drown. The wind and the water is calm, and now they're terrified. That seems odd. Before Jesus was awakened, Mark says the boat was nearly swamped. It was almost full. The disciples couldn't bail water fast enough, and they knew the boat was just seconds from being totally filled, and they would die. And they woke Jesus and said, don't you care if we drown? I think that picture goes to our hearts. Because everyone who's ever tried to live a life of faith or live life by your own strength, the world has felt like this sometimes. Everything is going wrong. You're sinking. And God seems to be asleep, absent, or unaware. God, where are you? Don't you know we're going through this? If you loved us, the disciples were saying, you wouldn't let us go through this. If you loved us, we wouldn't be about to sink. We wouldn't be at fear for our lives that we're about to die. If you loved us, you would not be letting us endure this deadly peril. And Jesus, once awoken, I can imagine, sometimes you gotta, you got to have these little pictures. I imagine Jesus almost smiling, standing up and responding and saying, it's all, it's all good, guys. I got this. Quiet, be still. And then he turns to them, probably that loving, stern, but loving embrace. Why are you so afraid? Jesus didn't say, I can understand how you feel. He asked, why are you so afraid? Can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking? What do you mean, why were we afraid? We were afraid we were going to drown. We were afraid you didn't love us because if you loved us, you wouldn't let these things happen to us. But Jesus' question to them has this thought behind it. Your premise is wrong. You should have known better. I do allow people I love to go through storms, and you had no reason to panic. And if they had little reason to panic during the storm, they certainly had no reason to be afraid after it had died down. We'll get to that in a moment. The reason why that they had little reason to be afraid in the midst of the storm is because Jesus said they were going to the other side. And if Jesus said something, if he made a promise, it was going to come true. See, they hadn't heard Jesus. Jesus' promise that they were going to get to the other side should have carried them through the storm. For us today, and the chaos and the, the circling just circumstances of our world we may be wondering Jesus are you absent are you unaware where are you have you forgotten us and we must return to God's word to remember God's promises we must remember the promise 
Tim Keller, in his book, King's Cross, says it this way. Jesus asked the disciples, do you still have no faith? That could be actually translated as, where is your faith? I love that way of phrasing it. By asking the question in this way, Jesus is prompting them to see the critical factor in their faith is not its strength, but its object. Imagine with me, falling off a cliff, and sticking out of the cliff is a branch that is strong enough to hold you. But you don't know how strong it is, you just know that it's sticking out. And as you fall, you have just enough time to grab the branch. How much faith do you have to have in that branch for it to save you? Must you be totally sure that it can save you? No, of course not. You only have enough faith to simply grab the branch. That's because it's not the quality of your faith that saves you. It's not the quantity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. It doesn't matter how you feel about the branch. All that matters is the branch. And for us, Jesus is that branch. Some of you today may be walking into this space, may be watching online and feeling like you don't have much faith and that you feel like you're falling and things are out of control. Well, let me tell you, it's not the amount of your faith that is there to rescue. It's the object of your faith that can provide the rescue. That can provide the substance by which your falling and flailing stops. And it's funny because Mark writes, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Why were they more terrified in the calm than they were in the storm? It's because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power and they couldn't control it. Jesus had infinitely more power and they had less control over him. You may say if that's true, but if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control either. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, he may lead you into the storm to communicate that he is the power you need in the presence of the storm. See, in the presence of the storm, it's the promise that disciples were going to make it to the other side that they needed to hang on to. The promise for us today is that Jesus will be present with us, that he has the power to calm both the external chaos and the internal storm. And he displays that. And the disciples, they were f- afraid, and then they became terrified. But what's ironic in this story is that fear is not only the response of the disciples, it's the response of the townspeople as well, to the, to the peace of the man who has been possessed. He's sitting there clothed, perfectly sane and in his right mind, and they are freaked out. They are afraid. If I was them, I'd be like, probably a little bit happy, overjoyed. The guy who's been terrorizing our town is not terrorizing it anymore. The the guy that kept our kids up at night is not going to keep our kids up at night anymore. Both stories end in fear. The inhabitants are more frightened by Jesus' power to expel the demons than they are by the terrifying demoniac himself. Both the inner and outer storms have been quelled by the authority of Jesus. Just like the spirit wrestling 
order from the depths of darkness in the beginning of the Bible. Jesus brings creation out of chaos. He brings calm out of chaos. Jesus can bring peace to inner and external turmoil. And you may be wondering, and you may even think that we're going in this sermon. So how do I get that in my life? Kyle, if that's the case, if Jesus brings calm out of chaos, how do I get that calmness in my life? And while that might be a question for us, and it's a valid question, I'm not sure that that's what the disciples or the townspeople wanted. I'm not sure that's what they wanted. I'm sure the disciples were relieved that they weren't drowning, and I'm sure the townspeople were relieved that the demoniac wasn't going to be terrorizing the town. The benefits of Jesus were great, but the implications of his power caused them to be afraid. There's a saying, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I think sometimes we'd rather live in the chaos and complain to God about our circumstances rather than see him actually show up. Let me say that again. I think sometimes we'd rather live in the chaos of our own circumstances and complain to God rather than actually see him show up. For if he shows up and provides, we know instantly what that means for us. What it begins to mean for us is we might actually have to forgive that person. We might have to take a job that puts us in a different industry to provide for our family. We might have to make space for someone else in our life and we don't feel like we've got the time or energy. Maybe you need to find another outlet of expression besides just simply posting on social media. You may have to take responsibility for the people you've wronged and change your future behavior. Maybe you need to go see that counselor and have that talk about your marriage, about your finances. See, when Jesus begins to show up in our life, we know that that means we will have to change. If Jesus can bring order from chaos, then we might actually have to change. And change is hard, so I've been told. But Jesus has the power to bring true and lasting change in your life. And so if we want to begin to experience true and lasting change, begin to experience freedom, just like the demoniac felt when the chains were gone, the first step is to simply listen to Jesus. The second is to respond to his leading, to do it. See, your action will be evidence of your faith. And a word of caution for people, a word of caution, people who believe more must not be so hard on those who believe less. Why? Because faith is ultimately not a virtue. It's a gift. It's one we receive when we draw near to Jesus. It's one that we grow in each and every day. It's one that you don't have to have figured out perfectly. But as you stay close to Jesus and allow him to calm the storms in your life, as you, as you are in the midst of storms and wonder, Jesus, when are you going to calm them? When are you going to show up? That it's actually we have to hold on to the promises. We hold on to the promise that he hasn't forgotten us and that he loves us. And how he displayed it to us on the cross. How we hang on to the promise that, that he is going to come back because he was raised from the dead. And that he's going to wipe away every tear. And, and then that's what we have hope in. That total restoration, total freedom. 
No more brokenness or pain on this earth. It's that promise that we hang on to that allows us to persevere in this life and allows us to remember that Jesus is present with us. Because Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us. The storm of sin and brokenness. And that storm was calmed when Jesus hung on the cross and went into the grave and was raised victoriously. And as we ask the phrase, God, don't you care? God, where are you? We can confidently look back and say that he did not abandon us because in the ultimate storm, he was present. And if he was present in the ultimate storm by paying the penalty, the justice that was owed to us, if he did that, why do we think that he will abandon us in the much smaller storms we're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, he'll return and still the storms for all eternity. But if we let that penetrate us to the very center of our being, we will begin to understand how much he loves us. We'll begin to know how much he cares. And we will begin to have the power to handle anything in life with poise. Because it's not ourself that gets us through the storm. It's the presence of the Savior, Jesus, and His Holy Spirit in you. And what happens when the storms are quelled, both internal and external? People are amazed, and people want to know, who is this Jesus? And we have an opportunity to be present in our community and help others begin to explore what it looks like to get to know Jesus as a plan and promise for them because he loves them. Imagine how much different this world would be if people who have just a little faith begin to start acting on it. You don't have to have much, but if we start to start acting on it, we start to treat people differently. We simply begin to listen and respond and watch God work. Our world would be a much different place. You have people in your life who are waiting for you to say, let me tell you about what God is doing. And who would be a people that listen and respond and tell others what God is doing in your life? Because that would be an amazing sight to see when chains are broken, when freedom is found, when the storms are quelled, and Jesus is made known through us. Let me pray. God, you are good. We love you. God, we're trying to love you more. God, we do it imperfectly. We don't always do it well, God. So I just pray that you stretch us, that you grow us. God, that you, you, just, you just work. You do something that we cannot even begin to ask or imagine, that you show up in a mighty and powerful way. God, we need you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray.